This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is Fear, The Talking Dead, number 329, recorded on Thursday, July the 6th. 2017. Welcome to the midweek recording this week. The midweek special catch-up uh, edition. It's pretty much what it is, yeah, because yeah. we missed a week there, as everyone knows, in case, you know, you forgot or you weren't listening before. We uh, we had to skip a week, so on Monday we did 328 about Fear the Walking Dead Season 3, Episode 5, and here we are a few days later to do Season 3, Episode 6 for our number 329, if that's not too confusing. That's correct. Not to me. It makes sense to me, and it's fine. There you go, as long as you understand. So that is, of course, what we are going to do today. Um, but first, I want to take a very quick look back at an email that someone wrote in about um, last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead, which is confusing now, I know, because it wasn't really last week. But anyways, uh, Adam on our Facebook page or sent me a message on Facebook, and he said this. So I noticed something that I don't think we've ever seen before in the Walking Dead universe. When Madison was on the ground, she was being attacked by two infected inmates. The one to the side of her immediately put his hand up as a defense reflex at the moment he was shot with the arrow, sending the arrow first through his hand and then his head. Is this something that has happened before, or could it be that early apocalypse walkers have more advanced brain function? What are your thoughts? Ah. <sighs> So do you, okay. you, you remember the scene? I do remember the scene. Uh, I don't specifically remember the uh, the defense posture. But that is a defensive wound. I, I have three separate thoughts about this. Well, let me, let me just uh, remind you or remind everyone what happened. Adam does describe it, but he, he's right. Madison is on the ground. There's a couple of walkers on top of her. She's pushing one away. It's right before she grabs the... Um, what is it? It's an extendable billy club, I guess. Is that yeah, what that it's a, is? It's a baton. It's a collapsible baton. Collapsible baton. So she grabs that, flips it out, and uses it to poke one of them. But the other one that's beside her gets shot by Arrow Guy, and he, uh, Adam is right. Just as the arrow gets to him, the zombie's hand comes up through the hand, then through his his head, and he goes down. And I noticed it, forgot to bring it up last time when we recorded, but... To me, I'm not sure it was an actual defensive move. I feel like it was almost just a fluke, like the zombie brought his hand up to bring it down onto Madison's face or something like that. And just at that moment is when the arrow caught it and went through his head. Right. I don't know for sure, because I can see how it can be interpreted either way. But that's that's what it is. What are your What were your thoughts? So my three thoughts are, and to backtrack one uh, tiny little step, uh, those collapsible batons are, oddly enough, legal in Canada. Oh, as yeah? long as they are not concealed. Put it in a backpack, you got a problem. Carry it around in your hand, no problem. If somebody asks you what it's for, say it's for opening coconuts. If you say that it's for defense, it's illegal. If you say it's for opening coconuts, no problem. I don't really see how you can open... A coconut with a collapsible baton. It's like an iron pipe. Is it really? 
It really is. And you it's, could... Uh, it's a significant weapon. It's like carrying around a big iron pipe. Okay. Somebody asks you why you're carrying around an iron pipe. It's like, well, I have to do some emergency plumbing later, and I just have to carry this around with me. No problem. If you're carrying around an iron pipe because somebody's after you and you want to defend yourself, then you got a problem. It's, anyway. It seems like such a uh, such an easy out to carry around some sort of weapon in this country. Obviously, you can't walk around with a gun well, because it's Canada. Cops, yeah, the police have a huge bullshit meter, right? Right. Like if you're carrying it around they're, and they and you say it's for uh, plumbing, they're going to go bullshit and then you're arrested anyway, essentially. <laughs> right? So the law may say one thing, but the police can do whatever they want. Well, yeah. I'm not sure I'm not sure that's the environment we want to live in either, but anyways, that's yeah. a different thing. Legality is based on intent. What's your intent with that? If you're carrying around a pocket knife and you use it to open boxes, no problem, and that's perfectly a legitimate thing. I have a pocket knife, a small tiny pocket knife that I carry it around on my keys. Uh-huh. And I use it for opening boxes and envelopes and all kinds of stuff. But if they ask me what that's for and I go, "Well, I got to defend myself somehow with this tiny little blade that's on my uh, on my pocket knife, they're going to go, wow, that's illegal. You can't do that. You know, officer, sometimes I just like slashing tires. I can't help it. That Yeah, that's fine. That's okay? Because, that's okay, because you actually didn't commit a crime slashing tire. Uh, if they see you slashing tires, that's illegal. But if you say, I use it to slash tires, what are they going to do? Nothing. Nothing. You haven't committed any crime. All right. Well, back to the zombie that may or may not have tried to defend itself. Okay. Sorry. That was a bit of an aside. So three thoughts I have on this. One is that you're right. It was just a random random thing. Uh, he was putting his hand up and uh, uh, got an arrow through it. So that's, that's an in-story explanation. A semi-in-story explanation is we know that zombies have residual memories. Mm-hmm. Would a uh, a convict or a prisoner... Uh, would they have more residual memories for defending themselves than other people? I don't know. Let's just, let's just leave that as an open question. That could possibly be. Yep. Uh, the third, uh, totally not in story reason is that the, uh, the director and or whoever the production designer thought it would be cool because you don't really, you know, having an arrow go through a hand and then into the head, that would look cool. Not thinking that... Uh, a defensive wound is, or defensive posture is not really reasonable for a zombie. Yeah, I I find it, I feel like it's had to be a deliberate decision, though, because, I mean, that that's a special effect, right? Having an arrow go through someone's hand and through their head. And, and I just feel like that had to be a decision they made on purpose, the the director or the special effects people or or whatever, because you don't end up doing that by accident. Right. So I agree. And that's why I think the third option is the most likely is that they thought it would be cool and either didn't care about the in-story ramifications of this, like what it would be, what it means to the world mm-hmm. or, uh, like they didn't care or they didn't know, like they just didn't think about it. I'm sure somebody thought about it, but sure. I mean, but Greg Nicotero is doing the effects for this show or at least his team is. So it's not like they're, he's an executive producer. He is an executive producer, but his team is doing these doing these effects. So it's not like they're new to this, you know, and they're making stuff yep. up as they go along. So I'm not sure where the decision would have come from, but I feel like it probably was a deliberate decision. And maybe it does have to do with residual memories, as we've seen on the main show, and that would apply here too. Um, or they just thought it looked cool, like you said, and uh, we just have to chalk it up as a freak 
accident, basically. The zombie put his hand up, and that happened to be when the arrow came. Yeah. Greg, Greg Nicotero is probably sitting at home right now, all wrapped in a comfy scarf, going, oh, shit, they're right. That, <laughs> damn it. Or, or he wasn't there that day, and so, like, somebody went off book a little bit, and uh, now that guy is fired. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think it's a firing offense. I think it'd be more like a, uh, yeah, you really got to clear those things with me in the future. Would you? Right. Could you to do that? That'd be great. Yeah. Maybe next, maybe before you do that next time, just, just let me know and I'll yeah. say no and we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, I don't want to micromanage you, but I want to make every decision. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, I know people like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know how our relationship works on this podcast. That's right. Okay. I micromanage you and you micromanage me and we get along swimmingly. Everything seems to work out all right. All right. Well, that's that's uh, it for last week. Let's talk about this week's episode, season three, episode six. It was called Red Dirt, which there's probably a whole lot of meaning built up into, but maybe we can get into that. Um, I General thoughts on this episode, Jason, I, I think I realized something about this season of Fear the Walking Dead so far. And because this episode, I did feel a little bit slow, but not in a bad way. Um, it was very focused on charactery type stuff, which is fine. And, you know, you, you want to have deep, fully realized, well-rounded characters. And this episode went a lot, a long way to enhancing that, uh, or, you know, furthering that sort of path they've been on this, uh, this season. But I realized that I think so far after six episodes of season three of fear that we've had a string of six sort of average to good episodes. There's been nothing absolutely amazing and there's been nothing really bad either. And I would say if you're within that sort of mid range scale, you're probably closer to the higher end of it because I do think the season has been pretty good overall with some, you know, minor criticisms, but they've maintained this sort of consistent pattern so far this season and this episode fell into fell right into that category for me i didn't it didn't blow me away but i certainly wasn't disappointed in any way with it right i like this episode more than i like the last episode just for the sake of inconsistency in my own opinions well yeah but you you didn't like the last one that much because you didn't really feel like it did move anything forward really um but obviously you feel different about this one well, I I think I kind of do. I think the we did move forward, uh, especially with Madison's character. Uh, I think that uh, she made a significant advance in this uh, in this particular episode. Yeah, in in her relationship with Troy for sure, and well, yep. in her relationship with a lot of the people, with her leadership of this this uh, this encampment. Like she, that speech she gave near the end, not to jump forward too much, but, uh, that speech she made when she brought the truckload of dead people back, uh, was a significant advance for her in her leadership. Cause, uh, Jeremiah is kind of, he's not really a leader. He's more of a, uh, I'm not even sure what the word is. He's not even really in charge. He's just kind of like the, uh, the landlord. Well, I think. I think that's a good way to describe it. Like he's sort of the guy that is, he owns the place, right? And everyone else just sort of yeah. lives there. He he's seemed, in charge of the property management group that, uh, that administrates this particular plot of land. Yeah. And he seems to be bonding more with Nick than his own sons, right? He knows what his own sons are like. He doesn't really, 
he doesn't even really seem to want to work with them very much. You know, he's got one who's the head of the militia who, you know, really, when you look at it, is kind of a psychopath. Um, he is, and he's definitely not in charge of that militia, like not in a leadership kind of way, because he, he said one time, I want everybody to be at attention. And they definitely were not at the tension. They were standing easy at the very most. Okay. And talking back. Oh, God. Well, I know, but that, I thought that scene that you're talking about where they're down in the armory, I guess, with the or the armory section of the pantry. Right. I, and and he delivered that speech to them. I realized they weren't at attention, really. I thought that too. But they did straighten up a little bit when he said, everyone, everyone's at attention. But I think what he meant is, I want your attention. Like, listen to well, what I'm about to say. Well, you should have said that then. Because <laughs> standing easy is just kind of like standing around. Right. right. There's, there's, there's at attention. Mm-hmm. There's at ease, which is different. Uh, and then there's stand easy, where you can actually, you know, move and such. Uh, standing at ease is uh, you have to stay in the same position. It's just not as stringent as at attention. But standing easy is just kind of like stand there, uh, yeah. you know, flex your hands. Put Don't put your hands in your pockets. That's kind of skirting the line. But... Uh, you know, pay attention to what I'm saying. So when he said stand at attention, if he just meant I want your attention, you know, uh, he would say on me and uh, probably tap his head. I don't know if that's specifically Canadian military or whether it's general military, but when uh, somebody of rank taps their head, that means get the fuck over here. I want to talk to you. Right, right. So. Well, I, I see what you mean, but I think there may be, they're an inexperienced militia. And so they don't quite know this yet. But I I did think that his speech was relatively effective. You know, uh, I I think it was motivational. And I think the show has done a really good job with, you know, taking this character and showing him to be an absolute psycho. You know, he's killing live human beings in the name of science, apparently. And in this episode, he goes out and murders a family that just left to to make a point. So clearly a crazy person, but they've also made him just a little bit sympathetic because of his upbringing and his childhood and um, what we know about that. And and uh, and I think that's that's quite the uh, task that they've undertaken here. And I think they've actually done it because I feel kind of bad for him, even though he's just a horrible human being in every other way. He is a horrible human being, and I think one of the reasons I find him sympathetic is that uh, Madison now has him as a weapon. Uh, she she is going to wield him uh, in order to get uh, to achieve her goals, which right. I really like. Well, do you think she is actually trying to become the the powerful leader of this group, Madison, or is she trying to put Troy in that position, knowing? that she can, she can control him and make him do what she wants. Well, you know, setting up a puppet regime is the same thing as being in charge, just uh, not as uh, overt, right? Well, to be, to be sneaky about it, I mean, that seems, that's uh, something seem, that seems a little more underhanded, sort well, of. Well, it is like, underhanded. If, you, if you're putting, setting someone up to be in charge, knowing full well that you can control him, you're in charge, but well, they're the figurehead. Right. Right. That's a puppet government. Right, right, right. So what's what's the advantage of her doing that then rather than just staying in charge? I think it might be that that she knows that this community already knows him. She's new and they might be a little bit more accepting of him being in charge because he's been around and he's the son of the the landlord. 
<laughs> right. I don't. Well, she is quickly becoming the leader of this uh, of this town encampment. I'm not sure what to ranch. Call it. It's a ranch. Ranch. Okay. So she is quickly becoming the leader of this ranch, and having uh, him endorse her and be on her side is going to be powerful. But I don't think she wants to uh, be the the controller behind the uh, behind the scenes. She's no Jar Jar. No, right? we've talked no. about Jar Jar in the past, and I can see the look on your face. But uh, <laughs> she is not the uh, the Phantom Menace, let's say, uh, whoever that may be. But uh, she wants to be. I think she's stepping up to being uh, the leader that this uh, that this branch needs because of the speech she gave. If she she tried to get uh, Jeremiah to give that speech to rally the troops, but he wouldn't do it. Uh, so when she had the opportunity to do it, she did it. I think she's stepping up, which means uh, to me, she's not just trying to prop up somebody else to be the figurehead and her pulling the strings. She actually wants to be the leader, whether that's because she wants to you know, manipulate the, the, uh, the group and become that leader for uh, purposes other than just stepping up and being the leader that they need. So I think we still haven't found that out. I'd like to think that she's doing it for her own grandiose, uh, you know, power grab needs, but there's a very clear, there's very clear evidence here that she's stepping up to be the, the group's leader as they, as, uh, for what they need, not just for her own power grab. Right. Well, I think she, her conversation with Troy right at the end of the episode at the gate there, you know, what did she say to him? She said, you know, you have to, you have to be able to do this. Can you, can you do this or can, um, what was it? Can it wasn't, can you lead these people, but it was sort of, you have to protect these people. Can you do that? Yeah. And his answer was yes, ma'am. Like he was very subservient to her, very, you know, formal, gave her the ma'am. And then she walks away just with the, like, you know, I got this dude under my thumb look on her face before we cut to the credits. Well, that could be sarcastic too. I mean, I've used yes, ma'am sarcastically. Well, yeah, but I'm not so sure in this case it, there was any sarcasm behind it. I think even Troy at this point is like, you know, you he's he's giving her the respect that uh, that yeah. she's commanding I, of him. I, I agree with you. He's on board. He's got she's got his endorsement, which means she's one step closer to being the de facto leader. Right. And I mean, I think she's even more than just well, that's one thing, but she's even more than one step because the reason she gives that speech when they come back with the dead. uh Trimble family yeah. was that when they found them out there, um, Jeremiah is standing there looking off into the distance and she walks over to him and he says, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. Cause he re they realize in that moment that Troy came out and did this because, you know, had it been Walker, they would have taken everything. They would have taken the vehicles. They yeah. may have left the bodies, but they would have taken everything else. They would have taken the horses, the right. food, uh, the vehicles, everything. And, and Nick, Nick even says that before they get back to the ranch, right? Yeah. So she knows full well that Walker did not do this. Right. And she gives the speech anyway. Well, but that's what I mean. Like, um, uh, Jeremiah realizes it was his son. He says, I don't know what to do. And Madison you know, you could, you could see her thinking to herself, okay, well, I have to do something now, right? Or either that, or this is my opportunity because he doesn't know what to do. And I, I will do something is what she's thinking. So she gets back and decides not to tell the truth, not to say that this was like an inside job. And the point of this was to frighten you all into staying here. Yeah. 
she uses it to rally the troops and blame it on an external force. And I mean, the end result is the same, except the people are probably more resolved to defend themselves or fight back than just, you know, cower away and let whatever's going to happen, happen. Yeah. Or leave. Or right? leave. That's another thing she wants. She wants everybody to stay put. Mm-hmm. So she uses this as a as an anvil to like, you know, look what happens when you leave. Because leaving's not good. So, to uh, you know, live together, die alone in the, uh, uh, what was this character's name on Lost? The doctor guy? Um, <laughs> the doctor guy? Uh, the, the tall guy. His name was Chris in Dawson's Creek. Charlie, whose name was Charlie in Charlie. Dawson's Creek, but he wasn't Charlie in Lost. Charlie was Charlie in Not Lost. Dawson's Creek. The 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 main character, Matthew. What's oh, his yeah, name? Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, uh, Party of Five. Sorry, Party of I Five. I never watched it. I was getting him getting this for my wife. Uh, what was his name on Lost? God, I'm surprised we can't remember the main character's name. But Jack, Lost Jack. Is, Jack, 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 Jack. Okay, right? so yeah, his speech. You know, live together, die alone. Yeah, kind of thing. She's given that speech, and she even says, you know, we got to live together. Uh. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, she's She gives the speech and uh, rallies everybody and everybody stays put and uh, give everybody a gun and uh, teach them how to shoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, nicely, you know, uh, Alicia even took the advanced class, if you know what I mean. Oh, she did. You're right. I didn't think of that. But Alicia <laughs> <laughs> took the advanced class. All right. You know, speaking of that, I did, well, I think her gun training scene with Jake was kind of ridiculous i mean there was very little actual training going on he sort of just handed her the gun and said you know point it this way and breathe out when you pull the trigger yeah and here's the switch to make it full auto it's like you don't need to know that right off the bat (laughs) it's like okay here's sort of semi-auto like a handgun and here's full auto like uh she doesn't need to know that switch quite yet you know show her the safety tell her not to look down the barrel when it's loaded and uh you know always point it downrange you know, there were two things I liked about that scene, though. And um, one was when she asked about needing a new target and he said, don't worry, my shots will be the ones in the bullseye. Yeah. The the look she gave him was <laughs> classic. It was just like a eye roll, nice line buddy kind of thing. Yeah. So I thought that was great on, you know, her part, the actress's part. Not untrue, though. I mean, hitting a target is not easy, especially when you're wheeling a friggin' even a semi-automatic assault rifle. Right. Uh, it's not easy. I've tried. I couldn't do it. There's no way. I've never even held a gun like that. I've never even been in the presence of a gun like that. Yeah. So, uh, that I know of. So, you know, I, I couldn't do it for sure. The other thing I liked about that scene, though, is like she's she's kneeling there, you know, gun up, trying to aim it down at the target. And you could just see her hair blowing around too much, getting in her face, getting in her <laughs> eyes, getting in the way. And I figured it was probably just, you know, it was windy that day on set and the hair was, and I, I bet you they joked about it and it was kind of annoying on set, but I thought it was funny to to watch. It is. And I think that uh, headbands should make a comeback. They can be very handy. Especially when you're trying to aim a, uh, aim a weapon like that. Yeah. Get your hair out of your face. Keep the sweat out of your eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think headbands should make it, should make a big comeback. Why not, man? Why not? Good for the shooting range. Headbands and leg warmers. Yeah. Um, And then just sticking with Alicia for a minute, I did also really get a kick out of the old uh, birth, the birth control (laughs) scene between her and her mom. I thought that was, (laughs) I thought that was, it just 
felt kind of uh, just awkward enough to be real. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's probably a conversation that uh, mothers and daughters have had the world over. Uh, I've told you the rhythm method doesn't work, right? Right. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was a band. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, but like you could you could just feel that it was a little awkward in the room, right? You know, yeah. that's the kind of thing a mother would say to her daughter. And, uh, and everyone would be like, eh, do we have to talk about this? You know? Yeah. And so they did a good job there. But I also was, um, I was also glad that Alicia came back and, and said, you know, there's, there's birth control in the pantry. It's fine. And I liked that it was, it was just a given between them that having a baby getting pregnant in this situation would be a bad thing. Probably. Whereas I feel like. Sometimes in The Walking Dead, you know, it's like, oh, let's everybody have a baby. It's, you know, why not? It's always great to have babies around. Everyone loves babies when the apocalypse probably is not the best time to have a baby. Yeah. But then again, I mean, if you want to keep the human race going, you do have to have a baby once in a while. That's what they keep telling me. But it would have been silly, I think, for Alicia to be like, but mom, if we're going to stay here long term, we need to repopulate. That, yeah. That would have bothered Not yet. Me. You know, you're 17 years old, give it, uh, or 18 now, we're assuming 18, uh, you know, give it a couple of months. Let's just deal with this Walker situation first and then, uh, you know, consolidate our area here, plant a piece of corn, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about having kids. And then maybe some pregnancy, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. First corn, then kids. That's the way it goes. <laughs> That's the order of operations. Yeah. And what kind of birth control was she talking about? Because I sure hope she wasn't talking about the pill because that takes a while to get uh, kickstarted. You can't just start taking the pill and all of a sudden, you know, no more, no babies. They probably just have condoms in there. Well, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, she could have said they have condoms, but I think that would have been too specific for the censors. I'm not sure why they would, uh, they would do that. I'm pretty sure you're allowed to talk about condoms on TV. I I wouldn't put it past them Pretty not to sure. want to rock that boat. Well, who knows? It's some kind of birth control. Yeah. So Magic you, birth control that uh, is not offensive to anybody. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned Walker. Uh, we did not see Walker uh, in this episode, although we did, you know, we were reminded that him and his group are around because that at night they set a bunch of fires burning right around Broke Jaw Ranch, I guess to sort of remind them we're here and that you don't know we're here and just scare people a little bit. That's kind of what prompted the Trimbles to leave in a way that, that, uh, you know, Vern and Kathy and Mike and Gretchen thought that it would be safer somewhere else. Uh, but do you think, do you think Walker actually has, he, he seems organized and Madison thinks he's a threat, but do you think he really is a threat or would he have, would he have sort of attacked by now? No, you don't attack, uh, an, an encampment like this. Like they're obviously well-armed, uh, with lots of people. So they're probably outnumbered and you do not, uh, attack an entrenched position without, uh, overwhelming numbers. So it's an intimidation, uh, tactic i think he's trying to scare them confuse them maybe a little bit yeah and i'm i I had a problem with this like obviously the ranch is in the middle of a valley like there's hills all the way around and they don't have a single lookout you know outside on top of a hill to be able to get any kind of 
Like they're just sitting in this uh, this valley with basically their heads in the sand, hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. Like if you got if you're in the middle of this valley and there's hills all the way around, you know, put somebody on the top of a hill just to like with a pair of binoculars just to you know have a look around. Because if they can sneak up close enough to get uh, to put fires that are obviously uh, not that far away, they're close enough to put snipers on those hills and just start picking people off. Yeah, that's like, for sure. So, and from, you know, a concealed position, that's just, just it, where that ranch is, is a horrible spot to be in, you know, <laughs> unless you have patrols guarding, you know, that top, those hilltops. I mean, they have the low ground covered, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't help at all. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I thought it was, uh, it, they're, they're in a bad spot. Like if they're that surrounded by hills and the hills are not protected by lookouts or scout teams or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that they, uh, that Walker can set a whole bunch of fires all at the same time. You know, that's, that tells me right there that they're fucked. And, you know, if I was in the middle of that ranch and that happened, I'd be like, we're fucked. I'm leaving. I'd leave. Right. Well, it, it, it prompted people to go and that didn't work out for them. And so they had to kill them to convince everyone else to stay. Um, I don't know. I think next week, I mean, we have a double episode next week. We're likely going to get some sort of confrontation between Broke Jaw Ranch and, um, was it Black Hat? Did they call it Black Hat Reservation? Should have made a yeah, note of that. Walk, something like that. Walker's, Walker's group. Um, I, I would be, I would assume we're going to get some sort of confrontation. It may not be the sort of the final battle between these groups because I wouldn't be surprised if this storyline continued throughout the season till the end of the season, not just until next week. Yeah. We haven't seen enough of Walker to wrap it up now. No, exactly. He's been in one scene. We don't really know much about him, but it does. I mean, and what we do know about him has been explained to us by Jeremiah Otto at the beginning of this episode, talking about how, you know, they've known each other for a long time. Walker has accused them of stealing the land they live on. There's been court cases or lawsuits over it before the apocalypse, which of course mean nothing now. Um, and, and Otto gives a description too of what their, um, camp, I guess is like, and it's not a very favorable description. Uh, but what it does, I think partially is it, it really, it really reveals Jeremiah's true feelings on a lot of things. Yeah. The guy seems like a pretty, uh, pretty bad racist. Yeah. I got that impression as well. And, and Madison calls him on it. You know, he, he says it's, he says to her, this isn't racism. It's the truth and, or something like that. And she says, are you sure? Like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I've heard that same argument from, uh, people it's like, no, that's not, not a racist, but yeah. Yeah. It, and it, then, you know, paints a whole group of people with the same unflattering brush it's like uh that's racist pretty sure pretty sure it is um but the other thing that i thought was revealed about jeremiah in this episode is that he's rather sexist as well there were two comments he made in this uh in this episode one in that same scene where he's describing walker and his community um you know he Madison tries to say that Walker is a threat and he accuses her of her, her of having a little crush on him. That made me uncomfortable. Well, that is uh, so ridiculous to say just because you're a woman, you yeah. must have a crush on this guy. Yeah. Right? No, you know, I would say that to a man too. I've said that to you. Sure. I, I'm pretty sure. 
you know, you have a, anyway, uh, but when he, yeah, if, if I said that, yeah, it's absolutely sexist and it made me uncomfortable in that and uh, made me dislike him just a little bit more. And then later on, I think when they're sitting at that uh, picnic bench, Madison and him talking and Vern comes over and then Vern leaves before they drive away in their RV, uh, Otto says to her, some men have kids and it turns them into women. Another another sexist comment. Like he yeah. he's a sexist, racist, sort of exclusionist asshat, and drunk. and now a drunk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess to be fair, he was sober for a long time apparently, um, but now he's he's on the sauce again. So uh, I do not see that many redeeming qualities about this guy. No, and that was one of the you know you know one of the the first pipe manager I ever had in uh, the pipe band often used to tell me if you're going to drink be a drunk don't be an alcoholic because then you don't have to go to the meetings. <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's he was such a full blown alcoholic. I asked my mom. He's lives lived in the Sioux. I was he's probably dead, right? He's got to be dead. He was in his forties when I was in the pipe band in the early nineties. He's got to be dead. Full-blown alcoholic, like crazy alcoholic. He's got to be dead. Well, maybe your mom should look him up and find out. Maybe. Anyway, doesn't matter. Well, anyways, I don't think Jeremiah Otto, I just don't have any real sympathy for this guy because I do not see him as a good uh, human being, really, in, in any way. Even trying to bond with Nick a little bit, um... Uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sad that I feel like Nick is sort of falling for it, kind of, you know, he's, he, Nick originally started with, I'm not interested in your, your guns and so on. And, you know, whatever you think of that, that's fine. But clearly Nick has come around to Otto's way of thinking because he's, he's been training him and he's carrying a pistol on his hip now already. I'm glad you brought that up because I have a question about that. All right. So he was carrying it on the opposite hip. Like he's right-handed and it was on his uh, left hip. Okay. Right. And so you have to cross draw to pull, to, to get that out. Now, Jeremiah would know this and you know this and I know this. I'm, you may not think you know this, but you do know this because you watch Breaking Bad mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Mr. White had bought a gun from that guy uh, a couple of times, a couple of guns. And one of the first time he went to buy a gun, he told him, you don't, don't worry. He's like, it doesn't feel right on this hip, but it should be on the other hip. So don't wear it over there because it takes a long time to, to cross draw unless you need to draw it while you're sitting down. So right. why would Nick wear it on his opposite hip uh, with Jeremiah f- knowing full well about how wearing it on the opposite hip is only really handy when you need to draw it while you're sitting down. So Nick, no, why is he, why is, why does Nick need to draw this weapon while he's sitting down? I don't know. I don't think they thought that far through it. I think maybe, um, it feels cooler to cross draw. I didn't even know that's what it was called, but I'll go with it. Uh, you know, and I think Nick is new to this whole thing. So maybe he's just like, hey, it's more comfortable that way. Yeah, but you only do. You... But he has this guy who's supposed to be training him, right? And Jeremiah supposed would to know, know this, right? Right, and he's uh, the fact that I, I, yeah, okay, the fact that we have a group of, uh, you know, with Walker being a Native American, and uh, the fact that Nick is uh, wearing this gun that Jeremiah told him this is the gun that won the West, mm-hmm. right? So, what? Why would you wear a gun that is primarily designed for? Uh, you know, shooting Native Americans. Like, that was the, the point of it, right? 
Well, I didn't really think it through like that, but if he, if that's what he said, then yeah, that was kind of... When he first picked it up out of the fire, he said, this is the gun that won the West. Oh, yeah. Well, it belonged to the guy who died in, in that house in the fire, right? Yeah. Right. And he was one of the original founding fathers of the ranch, and now three out of the four of them are gone. Jeremiah is the last one who's left. For now... For oh, now, Madison's going to kill him. I don't or maybe think maybe nickel cross dry will draw while they're sitting down and take care of the whole situation. Maybe he will. I don't think that Jeremiah is going to survive the mid season finale, to be quite honest with you. Oh, that's a good question. I, I you don't think he's going to survive till the end of the season? He's got to die, obviously, right? But because they're setting up, you know, the uh, the next group of people to be in charge, who that is, you know, or his sons or Madison, but. Uh, you don't think he's going to survive next week? No, I don't think he's going to survive. I think there's going to be some sort of confrontation and it'll be surprising if he, if Jeremiah and one of the sons dies, but I think at least Jeremiah or uh, Troy or Jake will die. I think Jeremiah probably though. Um, And then- You don't think the love interest of uh, Alicia will die? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like that, it could go that way as, as well. Now, speaking of that, he he's gone. He's taken off to try and go talk to Walker because they've had some discussions before, pre-apocalypse mostly. And Alicia packed a bag, so she's gone after him. Yeah. So I do think that's not going to go very well, to be honest. Um, but uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Speaking of people leaving, we know that Luciana left. And we found out in this episode that Nick knows very well that she left and has decided not to go after her. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up as well. I am uh, so far in this particular half of uh, this season of uh, Fear the Walking Dead, I have been 100% wrong on every single one of my predictions. I thought for sure he'd just like pack a bag and go after. Well, that's the old Nick, I think, right? That's what he used to do. Now, suddenly he's been here for a week and he's realizing that maybe it's more important to stay here. Um, at least for now, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's got to, you know, he's got to fix up that burnt out house, (laughs) but he fixed it up for her and him to live in. And the first thing she did after their little nighttime picnic is hit the road. Yeah. But then Jeremiah spent the night. Right. Maybe that was more satisfying for Nick. I don't know. Maybe. And then he shot, uh, before he spent the night, he shot, uh, the pistol into the floor three times. You try shooting a revolver inside a house and see how much you can hear afterwards. Yeah, I know. Did you understand why he did that? He was mad at the floor? No, I think a lot of people were confused by that, but it was because he was telling Nick at that moment, you know, this was the first well, you know, at that very moment, but this, that was the first house on the property. That's where they, him and the three other guys conceived this idea of this ranch. And now three of them are dead and he's the only one left. So he shot three bullets into the ground, one for each of the original founding fathers. And there's another shot for him at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So he obviously didn't want to waste his booze by pour, pouring drinks on the ground for his fallen comrades. Uh, he would rather waste bullets because, you right. know, down in the pantry, there's a shit ton of bullets, but you better save every goddamn drop of alcohol. <laughs> That's right, man. That's, but yeah, something like that. But I think a lot of people were confused. Like, what's he doing shooting into the ground? Uh, it was for his three now dead or dead to him founding fathers. Right. I, I just chalked it up to uh, 
you know, I've seen drunk people do some really stupid things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've not been present when drunk people have had firearms, but I have a few stories where drunk people have had their hands on firearms and it never goes well. No, never, ever goes well. The most recent story I have involved a death. Oh my God, man. I'll tell you off the air. I don't want to talk about it. Anyway. That's one of the Jason stories that maybe won't make it. It's not really a Jason story. It's a, yeah. It's a friend of a friend kind of thing. It was in the news. I just, anyway, I know some people that knew these people. Wow. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So what, what else? Anything else to, to cover on this episode? I do think that Jake going to talk to Walker, despite how dangerous it may be, I think is the right decision, especially if they have had a relationship, um, in the past. And by relationship, I just mean interaction with each other, even if it was, you know, over, over lawsuits, which probably wasn't the most pleasant thing in the world. I no, think, once you get lawyers involved, it's not really, uh, you know, yeah. a pleasant situation. No, no, not usually. And even more unpleasant now. Uh, but I do I think. I really like you. And I think that we get along great and we have this minor disagreement. Uh, why don't we go get lawyers involved? It never happens. <laughs> never <laughs> makes anybody happy, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I don't know. I do think I'm glad he went to do that because I I I'm one of those people who I do think talking and negotiating is always the best way to resolve a dispute. Yeah. Um you should never be the first person to throw a punch. And that's what Jake thinks and that's what he's trying to do, I think. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, you're doing preemptive defense. Well, that's not a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. Maybe be ready, but if you're throwing the first punch, you're throwing the first punch, and I don't think that's the right approach, even now. Yeah. So, listen to me uh, being only, an old pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up was just uh, when Gretchen was talking to Madison before uh, the family left, mm-hmm. uh, she mentioned that uh, her dad wanted to go to the Rockies because uh, they're safer at elevation. And I thought that's a great idea. Well, it makes sense considering where they are right now, but he also seemed to think there was some kind of colony there. Didn't she mention a colony? She, uh, she did mention a colony in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I wonder how it must be something from before the apocalypse, right? Like how would he know there's any sort of safe colony there post-apocalypse? Well, that's where I'd go. Rocky Mountain High, I think that'd be awesome. I've always <laughs> wanted to go to, uh, I've always wanted to go there. To the Rocky Mountains? Den- You've never Denver, been- yeah. I've been, well, I've been to the Rocky Mountains, but I've always wanted to go to Denver or uh, somewhere up in the mountains. Right. And, yeah. I, th- I think that'd be uh, a great idea going up there because uh, as far as I know, the zombies can't climb mountains. Well, no matter how much residual memory you have, they're not very good with uh, crampons. Sure, but, you know, Denver's a pretty big city. I'm sure they can just sort of walk around. It's full of zombies anyways. Yeah, but there's going to be a cabin on a cliff somewhere that mm-hmm. you can, you know, that takes uh, uh, either a set of mules or a Jeep to get to uh, and is very defensible. And you don't have to worry about zombies sneaking up on your back. Right. Because that's a, you know, a thousand foot cliff. And, uh, you know, zombies are not only not good with crampons, they're just horrible with pitons. Horrible. <laughs> Even if they could use the crampons, the pitons, no chance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Uh, you know what? The more we've talked about this episode, the more I like it, actually. Yeah. 
yeah, and last week, the more, or the week before, it was the more you, you talked about it, the more I disliked it. Remember I liked two weeks ago, and right. then you told me you didn't, and you talked me out of liking it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, this this one, I feel like, you know, all the stuff that we, it was kind of just designed to, on one hand, show the the actual um the actual state of being in Brokejaw Ranch and how everyone was feeling and how you know there was you know even though they, there was a community here that had been here for some time they were just on the edge of everybody scattering and leaving you know one little frightening moment and like some of the townsfolk were like ready to go yep and you know seeing that revealed was quite something because it shows that they're not all that tight knit to begin with. And if they did think that living together and being all prepared like this would make them stronger, well, it doesn't seem like everyone has bought into that. And then what we got from Otto just being a horrible human being, in my opinion, and that scene I loved when he stood there and said to Madison, I don't know what to do. And that was her cue to like take over. I think that was all really good stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's uh yeah it's just all come together for me a little bit while we've been sitting here and i i think this episode was was pretty good i stick to my original comment that this season hasn't had anything sort of absolutely mind-blowing with maybe the exception of of travis falling out of a helicopter that was pretty mind-blowing the way they did it <laughs> yeah. uh but also it has had nothing anywhere you know sort of at the other end either of just being absolutely terrible or stupid so so pretty good Pretty good episode yeah. and pretty good partial season so far. Yeah. You know what else I learned in this episode? What else? They let anybody into that pantry. That pantry was so full of people in this episode that now it makes sense why Jeremiah brought Madison down there. Because everybody goes down there. Yeah, everybody goes down. It does seem like it's uh, pretty busy down there. But now Troy was kind of guarding the door. And when Nick came in, he was like, what are you doing here? Yeah, but it's a freaking grocery store as far as the community goes. I guess so. I, I'm not so sure it's quite that open, but it did feel like there were a lot of people. But then the one woman and her son who were taking out big bags of flour, I think. Flour, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I had to look them up. I forget their names, but that that guy, um, um, mother and mother and son, as I said, and the, the girl who died uh, on their way back from the helicopter crash was his sister. So they were oh, all I the see. same family. Um. But anyways, yeah, they were saying we're going to leave too, and and Troy was trying to stop them, but she said, I spoke to your dad, and, you know, talk, take it up with him, because he said we could go. So, uh, you're right. But it also seems, again, like that pantry down there was absolutely massive. The hall went on forever. It did go on forever, and uh, man, boy, howdy, do they ever have a lot of guns and ammo down there. I was thinking the same thing. They have so, rack after rack of, of weapons. Yeah. It's just huge. Well, that's what uh, that's what you do when you have unlimited funds for uh, and lots of property for prepping. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know, assault rifles and shotguns and cans and cans and cans and cans and cans of ammo. <laughs> well, maybe Jeremiah was enormously successful in selling those prepper kits on that terrible TV well, commercial yeah. he had, made a ton of money, and was able to buy all this stuff. Well, why the hell would you buy this stuff when you get other people to pay for it? That's exactly it. Never use your own money in a business venture. No, get everyone else to pay for it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. Pretty good episode leading up to the mid, you know, double length mid-season finale next week. Technically, it's two episodes that uh, they're airing back to back. 
but I think we're going to have some sort of confrontation. Not quite convinced it's going to be the, the end of the Walker, you know, threat storyline. But I do think we're going to see at least one, maybe two characters get killed. And uh, if I had to make a prediction, I would say Jeremiah for sure. And possibly Jake, probably not uh, Troy. No, Troy's going to stick around. He's too entertaining. I think I think you might be right. Yeah, he's entertaining in, in how him and Madison re, uh, relate. Well, yeah, and he can move the plot forward. Uh, you know, uh, Troy, uh, he hasn't been able to move the plot forward. No, Troy? No, Not Troy, the, uh, the other guy. Jake. Jake. He's trying, though. He's, he's going to talk to him, and I think that could move some plot forward. Okay, that could move some plot forward. Didn't they say that Walker was a, a lawyer? Yeah, that's what. That's why they've had lawsuits in the past, yeah. Right. Okay, so they're going to go have a law conversation. That'd be awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and I just don't think it's going to go very well. <laughs> well, no. So... I don't know. Well, he's going to bring up the fact that he's an officer of the courts and, uh, you know, I have a, a legal fiduciary obligation to uh, discuss this openly. Uh, and then when they come back, they can say uh, we had a, uh, a frank and open discussion. So I shot him in the head. Right. And everything's fine now. Or yeah. not. I don't know. All right. Well, if you got any thoughts on this episode, uh, you know, if you agree or disagree or have a different take on something that we, we've said here today, send us an email, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or, or a voicemail would be great, too. So, Jason, we are going to do a little bit of listener feedback uh, before we wrap up the episode. But before that, I just want to take a minute to thank some new people that have visited our Patreon page cool, and uh, thrown a little bit of their hard-earned cash our way in support of this podcast and everything we do here. So uh, really quick, um, I want to send a thank you out to Nia Hopkins for becoming a patron recently, Johan Kuno, hopefully I got that right, and Joe Myers. Uh, all three of them became uh, patrons recently by going to patreon.com slash the talking dead. And then uh, at a little higher level, we have a couple of new patrons as well. The first one is Carmen Wells from a small town about three hours south of Sydney, Australia. So on the other side of the world from where we are. Long, long way away. And um, Carmen became a patron at a level that entitles her to a shout out on the show. So she wanted to send a shout out to her husband, Aaron. He's a brand new fan of The Walking Dead, she says, and she she went on to say, we are watching from season one, and while he used to watch me when I had it on, he, and he could take it or leave it, he's obsessed now as well. Nice. So it uh, sounds like her husband is kind of a new fan to The Walking Dead, but thank you so much, Carmen, for uh, becoming a patron, and uh, to your husband, Aaron, as well. And then the other one is a listener in Cleveland named Brian Maloche. Brian's actually a Canadian who currently lives in Cleveland. And he wanted to send a shout out to his very own Walking Dead podcast called the Walking Dead Talk Through podcast, which you can find at walkingdeadtalkthrough.com or on Apple Podcasts. And I have to admit, Brian is a guy who I have actually talked with before uh, a few months back. I participated briefly in a call-in show f- with Jason and Karen from the Walking Dead cast. They do that once in a while. And he was on the line and we chatted for a minute. But my internet, I was in a hotel at the time and my internet connection was so terrible. Um, I was cutting out a lot and I just couldn't keep the keep 
keep going on the call, so I had to drop out, and I was kind of more concerned with my lack of internet at the moment than <laughs> anything else. Uh, but uh, thank you so much, Brian, and if you guys want to, you know, are jonesing for even more Walking Dead podcast goodness, check out his show, The Walking Dead Talk Through Podcast at walkingdeadtalkthrough.com. Uh, he also wanted me to remind you, Jason, that Enid is not a spy with three exclamation points. Yeah, I'll never believe it. <laughs> All right. I have, uh, I have faith that uh, Enid is a spy, uh, regardless of any adv- evidence to the contrary. Okay, fair enough. We'll just have to see how it all plays out in the fullness of time. Thanks again to Brian in Cleveland, Carmen Wells in her small town three hours south of Sydney, Australia, and uh, everyone else who supports us on Patreon. If you would like to do that, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead, and you can make a small monthly pledge to uh, just uh, help with the cost of putting on this show and help my <laughs> my fund for a new iMac because I don't think mine is coming back to life. Sadly. Oh no. Sadly. Yeah. It's in for repair, but, uh, the three repairs that my guy has done, I sort of know the guy that does it have not worked. And so we're going to try one more thing. And if that doesn't work, I think sadly that machine is going to its grave. So, ah, oh, sad. So, you know, you'll salvage the hard drive with all the crap on it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. But that might be it. So it's a bummer. Sad. That's sad. What are you going to do? Thanks, everybody. Uh, Let's do a little bit of this. Listener feedback. All righty. Let's first here start with Don in Wisconsin, who sent us an email. And Don says, I have major problems with Madison's handling of the Troy situation. She covered up the mass murder of a family. She encourages him to be a leader. Yet, an episode earlier, he held a knife to her throat after he showed himself to be a weak leader. And don't forget, he would have executed her husband and son in the name of science had he not been stopped. I understand the play she is making, but it's gotten beyond ridiculous. Encouraging a psychopath to take control is suicide. Yeah, but he's her psychopath now. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like, she's... She's using him. She's manipulating him. She's pulling out all of her guidance counselor powers. And she recognizes the fact that he really needs a mother figure in his life. And she's being that to him. So you're right. She's, she's her, he is her psychopath and she's using that to her advantage. Think of it this way. If you're sitting in a room with, uh, five people and you're all sitting around a round table and uh, they're all very, very mad at each other and uh, are at each other's throats and literally want to kill each other. And there is a loaded handgun in the middle of the table, just kind of spinning around and around and around and around. Wouldn't you want to be the one holding the gun? I think I would. Yeah, that's exactly what Madison is doing. She, he's a psychopath uh, and uh, is, is crazy and is killing people and has been killing people for a long time. She doesn't necessarily want to off him because she wants to, uh, you know, step up and be in charge of this uh, this ranch of people because they need her, uh, and she needs uh, some kind of uh, validation—not validation, but uh, endorsement—in order to be uh, that leader. So she is trying to take control of him as well, so that she can either wield him or control him, so that he doesn't. 
continue on his psychopathic ways. Right. Is it, I mean, is it understandable though, that she's, she's doing this after, like Don said, you know, one episode ago, he held a knife to her throat, which I forgot about when we were watching this. I mean, that's pretty threatening. It is, but she had a spoon in his eye. You know, eye for an eye kind of thing. I guess it's only fair, yeah. To turn about as fair play, you know, I put a spoon in your eye. You had a knife to my throat. Let's bu- let bygones be bygones. As long as you make your bed, everything is fine. Sure. But I think, I think you know, she realizes even though he held that knife to her throat and threatened her, I think she knows that she she kind of has the power over him anyways. And she's she's solidified that with what happened in this episode, right? He called her ma'am. She gave him a task. She said, you have to protect these people and he's going to do that. That's, I think he just wants to be told what to do. Yeah. Right. And, and she recognizes that and, and give him a task, tell him what to do and he'll do it. And, you know, he won't be a problem to you as long as you give him a job. So he's threatening for sure, but I think she knows she can control him and that's, that's why it's working out. Yeah, and I think we can all take a list lesson from uh, our pet cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is uh, you have to live in the moment, and you can't hold grudges. If I walked up to my cat Rosie uh, in the next 10 minutes and held a knife to her throat and threatened to kill her, and then 10 minutes later I put the knife away, she'd be sitting on my lap purring like I was the best thing since a slice of cheese, and she likes cheese, believe me. Okay, but try that with your wife and see if she's in your lap purring 10 minutes later. Well, that's what I mean by we have to take a lesson from cats. They live in the moment. They don't hold grudges. They just, uh, they you know, they live and let live mostly. You know, if they like you, fine. If they don't like you, that's also fine. The other cat, uh, Lily, barely tolerates me. But that's okay that we've come a long way from her absolutely hating me when we first met. But uh, now she tolerates me, which is good. Well, step in the right uh, direction. And please don't do that to your wife. Or my cat. I wouldn't. Or your that. cats. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. But we can take a lesson of, you know, forgive and forget and live and let live and uh, move on and just live in the moment kind of thing. Sure. All right. Thanks, Don, for that email. Next, we have a call from uh, designer Will in Brooklyn. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is designer Will in Brooklyn. Happy Canada Day to you and your family and happy fourth to everybody in the U.S. Speaking of which, I miss hearing about what interesting or strange holiday it is on the day that you guys record. So I think you should bring that back, Chris. Yeah. All right. I just watched episode Red Dirt and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I have admittedly enjoyed this entire season of Fear the Walking Dead quite a bit. I think that the characters have developed quite interestingly. I think that the ranch is a cool setting. I think that Madison has an interesting relationship with Troy, despite him seeming like a bit of a wild card or somebody who's not to be trusted. She does seem to have him under her thumb a little bit. She seems to be taking advantage of who he is as a person and her interpersonal skills in order to protect ultimately herself and um, her kids. I think Madison's character has shown that she'll do whatever it takes to survive, even if it means playing people a certain way. And I do think ultimately her loyalty to Troy is dispensable. And I think that when some sort of conflict arises, I think she'll be the one to end Troy's life when the time comes. I'm wondering if anyone else is getting that same vibe. Anyway, just wanted to share that. Thanks for the great work, as always, guys. 
and cheers. Thanks, Will. So, uh, first of all, I, I was actually going to mention off the top of this episode, but I forgot to uh, that it was the 4th of July in the States recently. And on Monday, which was two days after Canada Day, I wished everyone a happy Canada Day. So today, which is two days after the 4th of July, happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. There you go. Uh, but how about this idea that, um, you know, despite everything that Madison is doing <laughs> to wield uh, Troy like a weapon, he is completely dispensable to her. So when it's no longer convenient or when she no longer needs him, she'll put him out, put him down, whatever you want to do. Get rid of him somehow. That would make me happy. Really? Because. Oh, yeah. Why? Because he's he's not a nice person or just because it would show how strong Madison is? It's her. It's another step on her journey to the dark side. And any step in that direction makes me happy. All right. Cool. I think designer Will is, is absolutely right too. You know, when it's no longer important for Madison to have Troy around, she will get rid of him somehow. Well, she'll have to because he's dangerous. Well, that's the thing. He is very dangerous. So you don't want to have a dangerous spark plug, you know, hanging around that could just go off at any moment. That's right. If spark plugs go off, maybe a dangerous firework that could go off at any yeah, moment. Yeah, a firecracker, let's say. Spark plugs, I, I think you require, you know. <laughs> A battery of some kind. I don't know. Anyways, he's a firecracker. In the spirit of Canada Day and the 4th of July, he's a firework that could go off at any moment. And uh, you want to make sure you keep him unlit until yeah. you want him to light. He's a stink bomb. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> uh, designer Will in Brooklyn. I was just in Brooklyn last week. It's uh, beautiful over there. Too bad we couldn't uh, hang out. Uh, next is a call from our friend Anwen in New Zealand. Hey guys, it's Anwen here from New Zealand. A um, couple of really interesting things I thought in this week's episode. It was quite slow and character-y, but um, one thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, the relationship between Alicia and Jake. It's kind of a flip on the old um, horror story cliche of the pretty girl who gets with the cool guy and then ends up dying. Um, I just feel like they flipped that on its side, so... Jake seems a little bit more unsure and Alicia seems pretty cool about the whole thing and they have sex and then he runs off to play with the Indians. I kind of think, hmm, is that kind of the horror movie equivalent of running up the stairs or running out the door when you shouldn't? Um, and the other thing that I that I really found interesting was the whole dynamic between Madison and Troy. And it's been building for a little while now, but I found it really interesting. My husband actually called it when they were down in the basement. And um, he said, I reckon Troy's going to go out and kill that family who just left. And then I kind of thought, oh, I wonder, it almost seems as though it could be possible that Madison actually put him up to it. Um, she sort of acted all shocked and then found it really hard to, to kill the young girl at the end. But the young girl zombie, but I, I just, part of me wonders whether she actually did put him up to it and she's going to pretty much do anything at all costs to save that community. And it really seems like they've created this dynamic now where she is kind of running the show, but he's got this great respect for her, so he's going to be kind of the figurehead um, and it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that progresses. Anyway, can't wait to hear what you guys think. Missed you last week, glad you're back on board and looking forward to some more drunken uh, photos and stories from you guys. See ya. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get any more drunken photos. Uh, well, there aren't any more of me 
But I've got lots of you, Chris. Oh, well, thanks. That's great. <laughs> so you you can take over the Facebook page from now on, okay? And just post pictures of me constantly. Yeah. Um, first of all, Anwen, thanks for calling. I was on a flight from New York to Los Angeles uh, last week, and I sat beside a um, New Zealand uh, a woman from New Zealand and with her daughter, and I chatted with them for a little while. And the whole time, <laughs> all I could think was, man, do you ever sound like Anwen from New Zealand? <laughs> nice. Yeah, it sounds exactly the same. Did you uh, ask her if she knew Anwen? No, I didn't do that. Um, maybe it was Anwen, for all I know. I didn't it get her name. Been. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so, all right, Anwen, what did, oh, I wanted to play that because of the idea that Madison actually put Troy up to that madison's it was madison's idea to send him out on a on a murder mission to get the family do you think there's anything to that maybe she is jar jar well (laughs) don't call her jar jar that's just an insult but (laughs) but you know is she that far down the road to the dark side already i don't personally think so no, I don't think so. I like, you know, uh, it makes me all tingly inside to think that maybe she did uh, manipulate him into going out to do that. But uh, it was awfully convenient that she went out and found a bunch of dead bodies and was able to come back and construct a speech out of it. Maybe she was writing that speech for a little while and uh, needed uh, needed something to happen in order to rally the troops. Well, it it does seem very convenient. You know, it worked out exactly the way she wanted it. Well, maybe even if she didn't know it at the time, it worked out perfectly to solidify Brookjaw Ranch as a community, or at least scare people into staying. Yep. I don't know if I can get on board with the idea that she, you know, that this was her plan all along and she sent Troy to do this. But if we find that out, I will be shocked and appalled. And all of the other things, <laughs> right? So yep. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a, an insane theory um, that could be true, but I don't know if Madison is there yet. Um, but hey, you never know. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, she hesitated in shooting zombie Gretchen. And then, of course, Nick had to do it. D- what do you think that says about Madison? Was she just seeing like her own daughter a little bit in, in Gretchen maybe and, and hesitated? Well, that's what she said. She's my daughter's age, right? And right. they were friends. They went to Bible study together. Right. Uh, and, you know, she talked to her. Uh, I think it was it was a very personal moment for her, and I think it was difficult. So, yeah, I think absolutely it was a, uh, a hesitation because of the personal level of it. But then Nick comes along and is like, it's just like my sister, but I'm going to shoot her without thinking about it at all. Yeah. He's, he, yeah, he's a little more hardcore, but he also wanted to, uh, you know, use his newfound gun skills, mm-hmm. right? So this is my opportunity to, uh, to take a shot and, uh, you know, do some good with this, uh, the, with this pistol that won the West. Yeah. You know what? I do have one good, one nice thing to say about Jeremiah. When they came around to the back of that truck and the zombies were eating the horse, the first thing he did was shoot the horse. And I appreciated yeah. that. He loves horses. He does. He put the poor horse out of its misery before they shot the zombies. So that's fine. I, you know what? He's not all bad. No, that horse, I don't know. Gretchen was pretty deep into the belly of that horse. I'm not (laughs) sure it would have been alive. 
Well, whatever. It was she moving. was right in there. Like she basically had to crawl out of it like a tauntaun. Eh, yeah. Not not quite that much, but you're right. That horse was in you know more than one piece. It seemed like. Yeah. Um, but he shot the horse, put it out of its misery. I was happy to see that. I thought Zombie Gretchen looked pretty good. The way she snapped yeah. her teeth and the blood came out of her mouth. That was pretty good. She was good. That was nice. All right. Thanks, everyone, for writing or calling in. Um, that's going to do it, I think, for this episode of the podcast. We'll, of course, be back next week when we're talking about the mid-season finale, which is two episodes. We'll cover them both in uh, one episode of the podcast. But in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can, of course, do that by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead or find us on Twitter at talking dead. And if you want to send a voicemail, there's two really good ways to do it or a, a voice recording. One, visit our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail. You can also find all our episodes there too, if you ever want to go back and re-listen or just get caught up. Uh, but the other thing you can do to send us a recording is use your smartphone if you have one. And I'm sure there's a voice memo app you can just record right into your phone and uh, you get a reasonably good quality recording in that case. And when you're done, just email the file to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh, ideally put your name and where you're from as well, just so we know. Uh, but that's a great way to send in your feedback, and your comments and your questions and whatever else you may have. Uh, just a reminder, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the talking dead or um, use our Amazon links if you'd want to help out a little bit by visiting uh, our website, uh, clicking on Amazon and then choosing the country of your choice. You know, your options are Canada, the United States, the UK, Spain, uh, a couple others too, France and Germany, I think. Uh, so wherever you are, you can uh, buy stuff at Amazon. And it doesn't cost you anything extra, but a tiny little cut comes back to us and every little bit helps a great deal. Appreciate everyone that supports us and everyone who listens. We, uh, we love everybody. We do. So Jason, is there anything else before we sign off for the evening here? I think I've spoken my piece. Very good. In that case, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao. So I went to see Baby Driver. Yeah. And uh, this is an Edgar Wright film. And I love all of his movies that I've seen, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, even World's End. And I thought the trailer for Baby Driver looked really, really cool. Uh, I enjoy a good car chase and lots of good actors in this movie. And I will just say that the movie was pretty good, but I did have a few problems with it, which I don't want to get into right now. But something happened to me in the movie theater while I was watching this film that has never happened to me before. I want to, I want to make three guesses, but just go ahead. You can guess if you'd like. Did you throw up? I did not throw up. Did you pee your pants? Was it biological in nature? It was not biological in nature. Was it technological in nature? It was technological in nature. Ah, <laughs> uh, you forgot to take out your headphones and you were listening to music the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not what happened to me right, in the movie what theater. So I'm watching the movie, yeah. and we're in the last five minutes of the film. Packed movie theater. Packed. It yep. only I think it only came out this week. So yeah. uh, it was a Tuesday night, so cheap movie night, and packed. 
So I'm sitting right next to a dude who, incidentally, was not very good at sharing the armrest, but that's not the problem. Um, so, like, last five minutes of the movie, my phone's in my pocket. It's on silent mode, as it always is in movie theaters. And it starts ringing in my pocket, but it's just vibrating against my leg. No big deal. I'm sure, you know what happened? It's happened before. Not a problem. Yeah. So I ignore it. Um, although it is a little uncomfortable, it makes me a little, you know, slightly nervous that, well, what if someone can hear the vibrating? Because I do not want to be the guy in the theater that is disruptive because of my phone. Yeah. So, you know, whoever's calling uh, calls back almost immediately. So my phone's now vibrating in my pants again. And uh, it's making me more uncomfortable. <clears throat> and I don't answer that call either. So they call a third time. Mm. And this time it's a FaceTime call, uh, which may it may have been the first two times, too. I'm not sure. But I also wear a Garmin wristwatch like activity tracker yep and it connects to my phone so notifications uh -huh. come to my garmin when the phone pops up a notification including incoming calls right so not only are my pants vibrating but my wrist is vibrating as well nice which is just making things even more uncomfortable for me um but i learned something in that movie theater and that is that i can answer phone calls with my garmin did you accidentally do that i accidentally answered the call with by touching my my watch and i don't know about you but you know sometimes i have a hard time hearing my phone like if i'm on speaker or something and it's sitting on the table in front of me it's yeah. it doesn't even sound that good but in a movie theater jason even with a movie playing when you're when you suddenly answer your phone and somebody's voice comes like booming out of the other end of that phone it sounds like the loudest friggin thing you've ever heard in your life that's horrible you turned into that guy i was, didn't even want to be that com guy completely accidentally i was the guy in a packed movie theater who took a phone call oh and hell. because it's a facetime call it automatically goes to like speaker mode oh. i didn't just answer the call and like you know i couldn't hear it because it wasn't up to my face nope i answered the call and i panicked in that moment I had, I no longer had the ability to operate my phone because I panicked well, no. and yeah. I, I pull it out of my pocket and there's my wife on the other end of the phone, like trying to FaceTime me. And I think she realized that I was in a movie theater. So out of the phone comes, you know, her, <laughs> what to me sounded like loud, booming voice going, oh my God, I think he's in a movie. And <laughs> I was mortified, of course. Uh. I was absolutely super embarrassed. And, um, uh, and I had, and I, and I, and I, and I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I'll press the power button. And of course that doesn't end the call. It just turns the screen off. Yeah. So still on the call. So somehow I managed to get my wits about me. I unlocked the phone, which now, unfortunately, I have my phone out and fucking turned on. But I unlocked the phone, which was now on the phone home screen, desktop, whatever you call it. Yeah. I went into the call and I ended the call. <laughs> and, uh, and, but like, I swear to God, my, my heart was racing because I was so panicked and embarrassed by what had just happened. And yeah, I was totally that asshat uh, in the theater and I didn't even mean to be. 
The guy in front of me turns around and gives me a look. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Oh, Chris, I feel bad for you. It was horrible. It was horrible. Well, next time, leave your goddamn Garmin at home. Well, I didn't know I could answer calls with it. That's the problem. I I I looked at it and I touched it to like light it up to see because it tells me who's calling. But, you know, you know, I don't normally need to touch it, I guess. And I did. And that answered the call. And I'm oh, so, yeah. I, I, I know now never to touch that thing again. And I may just out of fear that this happens again, actually turn the phone off in movie theaters. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't just put it on vibrate. I actually put it on, uh, what's that mode you put it on? At, uh, airplane mode. Dis- not airplane mode, but just do not disturb. So it won't oh. make any noise. Well, I felt bad. And uh, I do look back now and think it was sort of funny, but. It was not funny at the time. And it's amazing how you can, something I do every day, multiple times a day, which is, you know, check my phone or take a phone call. It's amazing yeah. how like your brain just goes into panic mode and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So so let me ask you this. Your wife called three times. Was everything okay? Everything was fine. It was her she, and she was away for the night in Niagara Falls with another mom and another kid. And yeah. uh, it was evening. They were going to bed. And I think... Isabel just wanted to, you know, FaceTime before bed kind of thing. So maybe she tried a couple times. So everything was fine. They didn't know I was in a movie, but uh, it was even more embarrassing when you hear, oh, my God, I think he's in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, every once in a while, whether you like it or not, you got to be that guy. I clearly was that guy. Yeah. Anyways. The only time I was ever that guy in a movie theater was, uh, for some reason, I went decided to go see a movie uh, by myself, and I couldn't think of a movie, so I went to see Josie and the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie? I do. I liked it. Yeah. So I went to the movie theater, and uh, I was watching Josie and the Pussycats, and about three quarters of the movie, I, I looked around, and I realized every other person in this movie theater is a 14-year-old girl. I'm that guy. Yeah, you're that creepy old guy. I'm the creepy old guy in the fucking back of the theater. Jesus H. Christ, did I ever slink out of there? I didn't mean to be. No. If you're going to do that, sit in the front, though, because then obviously- I didn't realize it until afterwards. I was just going to see a movie, and I was just watching the movie, and I look around, like, because there's girls giggling and stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at least if you sit in the front, then you're you're clearly there to watch the movie and not watch the girls. Yeah. So as soon as, as, soon as like, you'd even hinted at credits, I, like- Beelined it out of there. I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me. I really didn't mean to be that guy. Turns out I was that guy. Well, that's what I did too. As soon as the credits rolled on Baby Driver, I jumped up and got the hell out of there because I'm like, I just, I got to leave because I just don't want to face these people in the light. (laughs) You know, I feel so bad. So I don't know if there was any kind of post credits, you know, fun, funness on Baby Uh, Driver. But you can always look it up on YouTube. I'm sure somebody's tube did already oh probably but uh you know it was that was a fun movie i'd watch it again so is that, maybe is that a term tubed it it should be i don't it know <laughs> all right i gotta go